Welcome to the God's Goodness Podcast, where our mission is to encourage as well as highlight God's goodness and modern day miracles. We are your hosts, Josh and Shelly Hankins. Today we have with us a special guest. I say that all the time, but she's super special to me. Her name is Belinda Kent, and we actually, her husband was our second guest, and it was Pastor John Kent, and his episode was, Who Am I? Chosen. So I suggest you take a listen to that because it's a good episode. And we're going to have Belinda open us up with an opening prayer, and then we're going to have her just be led by the Holy Spirit. So thanks for coming and doing this with us. Well, thank you for having me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your amazing love and that you so long to have an intimate relationship with each of us. And today I just long to tell your story of how you've just been so good to me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So where would you like to start? My parents were both born and raised in Germany during World War II. They both were little kids, and they both, my father's family was, grew up in what was Poland. His father was captured prisoner of war by the Russians. His mother had to flee with six kids. She was a Christian, and she has amazing stories to tell about traveling across Germany with six kids when the Russians were coming. Hmm. Anyway, they ended up in Berlin, where my grandfather was released. They got together, but my grandfather, of course, was a very broken man. Ended up, the whole family emigrated to the southwest Colorado where a farmer sponsored them. And then my mom's family, her oldest sister, buried an American GI, and they ended up in Texas on an army base. And so that that whole family emigrated, and then they ended up together. Both families ended up in a German church in Denver, Colorado. And so that's where my parents met. So I was born there in Colorado with both sets of parents, grew up all my aunts and uncles and grandparents, all German culture, trying to fit. I was a first generation immigrants kid, had to find my own way in school, English school. I was the oldest. I didn't speak English very well until I went to school. And so I was always feeling left out. My mom and the German church, you know, we didn't even go to an American church. The German church, it was always oh, these Americans, they flatter you, these Americans, these Americans. And I just always felt like I didn't know how to fit in. And so I kind of just grew up in church that way. We ended up at age 12, I went to a church school. And at age 12, we ended up in the English church, regular American church in Boulder, Colorado. But it was a very legalistic time, in the, I think, across Christianity. There wasn't really much talk about Jesus. This was the age of the hippies, the 60s, the 70s, you know, and in Boulder, Colorado was the hotbed of the hippie movement. And so the church was very concerned about morality and right doing. And at age 12, my heart just, I I wanted Jesus. I talked about baptism, but all I knew was the rules and how to do, you know, just my parents were very strict, very legalistic going through the motions going through the motions and so i was baptized and then when i became a teenager high school age even though our church had a boarding school they were concerned again it was the 70s the hippies you know the free love and so they were very concerned about that so they sent me to very conservative boarding school in utah and our whole family moved there and there again it was all about the works doing and I just, at 13, I decided I wanted to follow Jesus, and this was when we were still in Boulder, and I started memorizing scriptures, and I read a little book called Steps to Christ, and I could not get beyond how to live with Jesus. I just couldn't get it, and so I just thought to myself, well, I can be perfect. I can do all this stuff, so 
my goal was to learn how to be perfect and do everything. Mm. And at this boarding school in Utah, again, we wore dresses all the time. You couldn't date, you know, boys and girls left separate, you know, and all this stuff. And it was just, I, I just tried to embrace it, everything. You know, I knelt every time we prayed and da, 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 you know, just on down the line. And my parents at the same time raised us with shame. That's how they were raised because of the, the war, I think just broke, just messed up their families. And anyway, they never said, I love you. I just longed, I'm a touchy feely person. I need words of affirmation, never got that. I just longed for love. I longed to know I belonged. And I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. And then, so in my head, I started developing these romantic ideas. Well, when I meet the right man, he'll fill all these holes. I had this deep hole. I didn't realize it was a God hole for this relationship because all I was doing was works. And even though I was baptized and I didn't know that Jesus really loved me. And so long story short, John and I met in New York and I thought he could fill all this deep longings. And of course he, he was a very broken man. had come from a broken background, didn't know how to love either. And so we just spent so many years of our marriage, I, I just desperately trying to cling to him, getting more love and he pushing away because he just didn't know what to do with it. We finally ended up in the jungles of Papua New Guinea with three little boys, ages five, three, and one, and 270 miles from town. And it's over by Australia for those yeah. of you who don't know. It's an island north of Australia. Anyway, deep in the jungles of New Guinea. And Three years in, again, John, just because of his empty hole, he, he kept doing ministry. That was his way to fill his holes. And so many times I was left with the kids by myself. Anyway, so three years in, one of our supporters in the States from California sent us to, they were always sending us packages and things. And so they sent us, I got it, two books. One was called Search for, no, they sent me a book on prayer, let prayer change your life. And I can't even remember the name of the author, but it was about just how to let God speak to you every morning. And then at the same time, we'd been out to Weewak to the nearest town. I, it was, I got out once a year with the kids and there was a little Christian bookstore there. And I found the book called search for significance that talks about the lies, the four main significant lies that the devil puts on us and how we can break those. And we were back in the jungle, and I, I've just been re working my way through this book. And just the one lie that's, you know, that was my lie that Satan had just put on me that you're not worth it, you're not significant, you never matter. Because I never felt like I was, even with John, because of his inability to love me, I just felt like I wasn't loved. I was a second class, you know. And so that book, I remember that morning where it talked what Jesus did about us and how to break that lie and Jesus, how much he loves you. And I just, it just started coming into me. And I just, I just felt like I was this new creation. And that day I went out in our little log canoe. We lived on one side of the river, our mission, our house in the health center and our church was on one side of the river and the villages were on the other and I wanted to visit some of the women upriver, and we had these little log canoes, and I got out there. Well, when I got to the river bank, the river had flooded overnight. We'd had a heap of rain. We got 20 feet of rain a year there, and so that night it had rained maybe five inches or six inches, and so the river bank was way high, and the river was just rushing with 
down with logs, floating logs and debris. And one of the guys, one of the local Papua New Guinea guys at the bottom of the river where I had my canoe said, be careful, there's all these logs coming down. But I just felt like at that point, like I could just do anything because God was in me. I just felt like, like this new person. And as I piled up the river, dodging trees and stuff to the village, I just felt like... I, I don't know how to explain it. I just felt like a new creation, like, you know, truly Jesus loved me. But again, those old lies had such a hold. And, you know, that was the first start of it. But then those lies just, you know, keep coming back. And so we sp finished our term in Papua New Guinea and ended up back in the States and just trying to adjust back to life in America. The kids all were going through culture shock. It was the hardest time of our life coming back. And trying to readjust and having to work. Both of us had to work. We put our kids through private church school and and John just, he, he was the training director of our mission agency, but he just poured his heart more and more into it. And every summer he was just gone and our marriage just was on the rocks. We ended up in counseling. And as John shared on episode two, finally our counselor just said, I, I realize it can only take you from miserable to unhappy. That's about all I can do. But she had had contact with this man that did some, because of his own brokenness and his own journey to healing, he just knew how to position a person to receive the deep healing of the wounds that have driven us. And so John went there, our counselor took John there one day, it was November, I think in 2003, to Ohio. And that day I was at home and I just felt again, I was left out because the counselor said she wanted to take John. He, Terry Wardle in Ohio was mentoring our counselor and she took John. And that day I was home alone, the kids were at school. I laid on the floor of our bathroom just in pain, agony, saying, God, why am I always left out? I'm always the one left out. In New Guinea, it was always John's the extrovert, charismatic person and he, you know, people love John, it's his personality. It was always John, John, John. And I just felt like this little person that was just left. And I laid on the floor of our bathroom, just considering what I could do. If I had any pills or anything that I could do just to end my life, I was so miserable. And the only thing that kept me from doing anything serious that day was the thought of our four kids. They were teenagers, but still I said, I can't do this to our kids. And I just prayed that day. I said, God, if this man that John is going to see is a godly man, he'll know that it's not just about John. He'll somehow know that there's a there's somebody else involved. And so John came home that night. It was a four-hour drive for him. He came home late that night and just shared excitedly what God had done for him. And he said, Terry wants to meet with both you and I in a month, the whole weekend. He has a whole weekend set apart for you and I. And so a couple weeks later, before we went down there, it was in November, it was a Saturday morning. I decided to go out to Lake Michigan. It was a warm November day, it was gray, it was overcast. And I went to the beach where I climbed on one of the high sand dunes that overlooked the lake. And I brought a blanket with me and a CD player back then. We still had CD players. <laughs> my sister had just sent me a new CD of praise and worship music. And I just sat there on the blanket with my Bible and my CD player, and I just started. Somehow God led me to a verse in Ezekiel. I can't even remember what chapter it is now, but that said, I will find my sheep that were, Ezekiel 34, that were scattered on that day. I will find them. And I just clung to that promise. And then 
I had been playing through the CD worship songs and I got to one song, The Power of Your Love, and I'd never heard it before. Hold me close, let your love surround me. And as I wait, your spirit, I'll soar like the eagles. I can't even remember the words, but it's just an amazing song. And I played that song again and again and again, just went back to repeat, repeat, repeat the power of your love. And I'll soar with you by the power of your love. And everything had been dead and quiet. It was gray. You know, everything was, it was fall. You know, all the leaves had fallen. And all of a sudden, about the 18th time through that song, the lake in front of me down, it was because I was up high on the sand dune in front of the lake. All of a sudden, there was these ducks that were bobbing up and putting their head down. And all of a sudden, there were some birds up in the air and seagulls. And it was just like there were some bugs around me. It's just like all of a sudden, everything around me came to life. And it was like, God promised me, I am going to find you, Belinda, to the place where you've been scattered. And so two weeks later, John and I together went down with our counselor because, again, she was being trained by Terry Wardle. And we went down and we've had a whole weekend down there in Ohio. And the first night that Terry met with John and I together, he had us do a prayer together, then just start sharing our life story. And during that time, a memory came to me that had I had never remembered, but it just came to me. And it had been in my subconscious, I guess, but... The memory of when I was four or five years old, we were in Boulder, Colorado. I'd been sent to my bedroom for something I'd done wrong. I had a sister just a year younger than me. And I went to my bedroom and my mom, again, she disciplined us in shame. You know, it was just always shame. You're bad. You're bad. Anyway, so I went to my bedroom and I remember sneaking out of my bedroom, coming down the hall and she was sitting in the living room on the couch, cuddling my four-year-old sister. I must have been about five just cuddling her and loving her and looked up and saw me and said, you're bad, go away, we don't want you. And I just realized that that story is what had played my, had been the basis of my whole life, what had driven my whole life, realizing you're bad, go away, we don't want you. And that I just felt even with Jesus that, yeah, he was supposed to love me, but he he would look at me and say, you're bad, go away, I don't want you. <laughs> and that night, just that story, just I just realized that that's what had been driving my brokenness, my woundedness, my deep clinging to John, trying to get love. You know, I was trying to force love out of him. And of course, that always drove him away and just that deep neediness. And so Terry sent me over. We went back to our apartment that night and he said, said to write a lament just to grieve what I'd lost and what I wanted from God. And as I wrote it that night, there were three things that just a deep desires of my heart that just came out. I just wanted to be beautiful because all my life, my dad had told me I'd never marry. No man would ever look at me because of the way I walk. And my friends in school had laughed at me and told me, several of them even told me I was so ugly, I was cute, you know, just all this stuff. And I never even thought of myself and because of John's brokenness, he was never able to really value me and tell me that I was beautiful. Anyway, so I wanted to be loved by God and by John as described in the Song of Solomon. And I wanted to be beautiful. I was tired of being ugly. So those were the th three things that came out, and I lamented that. Anyway, so that night, went to bed. I woke up 3, 4 in the morning, couldn't go to sleep. I got up and went to our little living room in the apartment we were staying at open my Bible to Isaiah 62, that God says, you'll never be desolate 
I will write you a new name. You'll never be desolate again. I'll hold you up for all the world to see. You'll beautiful and the, my delight. And I just clung to that promise. I'd never read those verses before, but it was just like God was telling me that he, I was never going to be desolate and forsaken anymore. So that afternoon, um, we went separately to meet with Terry. So John went over and met with him. And John came back and was just a mess because he talked to Terry about some stuff and he was just grieving some of the losses that he'd had. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, just go over there. I don't want to talk about it now. So I went over to see, to meet with Terry and our counselor. And Terry looked at me and said, we have some work to do because John had, we had talked about my neediness and clinging to John and stuff. And I said, yeah, I'm open. I just want to do whatever it takes. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired. I want it. Just whatever, just give me the hard stuff, you know, I'll deal with it. I want God to heal me. And so we, he always started with prayer and he always had silence. And this time he just sat there longer in silence. And finally I looked at him and he said, Belinda, God's telling me you're first. And I said, first, first for what? I've never been first for anything, never in my life. And he said, first to receive the Holy Spirit. Cause he had had a little talk with us about the Holy Spirit and even though I knew and believed in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, just our denomination kind of had pushed because of their fear of overdoing it with the Holy Spirit, you know, they just kind of pushed away and it was all again in the head. And I never had realized what the Holy Spirit could live in us and do for us. Anyway, so Terry said, yeah, I feel like God's telling me you're first to receive the Holy Spirit. And so he and our counselor, Ann, just surrounded me. They laid their hands on me. And I shared the story with him of, of how I got up and read these verses in Isaiah 62 of how God said he'd hold me up as a crown for all to see and give me a new name. Anyway, so they prayed over me. And just as we were praying, I just saw Jesus take me and lift me to heaven and treat me like his lover. He set me at the head of the table beside him and introduced me. It was like I was the one, the one that he loved, his chosen. And I never felt such love before. And then I just saw him taking me down the streets and walking by some animals and telling me it was okay to play because I'd been such a rigid person. My dad had raised us the first, the oldest of four kids. I always had to work. Every time we played and got silly, he would yell at us. And Jesus just, I saw a giraffe and he told me I could slide down the neck of a giraffe and have fun and go at it. And then during this time, I was just telling Terry and our counselor, Anne, what I was seeing. And then Terry said, ask him what your new name is. And so I asked Jesus, what's my name? And he said, Jesus said, beautiful. And I just started crying. I said, it's not right. I've never been beautiful my whole life. I've never been beautiful. And Terry and Anne both affirmed, that's right. And at that point, I just felt such love for Jesus that I'd never felt before. I just saw myself throwing my arms around Jesus, saying, Jesus, I love you. And instantly, I just felt from my feet to my head, I just felt the power of the Holy Spirit filling me. I just felt this sensation just filling my whole body. And it just, I never experienced this before. And it was just such an amazing experience. I just felt this love for Jesus that I'd never had before. And I felt his love for me. And so Terry then said, go over and tell John about this. And during that, in the meantime, John had gone through his whole grieving time and lamenting and found himself going from 
saying, I've lost my heart and grieving, finding himself on the floor, saying, God telling him, I've got a new heart for you, giggling on the floor. And so I came in and found John. And at that point, God had impressed on John that he needed to do, asked me to remarry him. Anyway, so I got into the apartment. John was on the floor on his back. And he looked up at me and just said, hi, beautiful. And I said, how did you know? How did you know? He said, how did I know what? Because he never, ever called me beautiful. I said, Jesus just called me that. And it was just this confirmation of what that Jesus, the new name he'd given me, that that was, it wasn't something I just drummed up or imagined that it was true. And at that point, John began a process. We went back home and a week later, he had in secret had all these plans laid out. We were supposed to go on a date that night, but we ended up our, at our counselor's house. She had a pretty big house and they dressed me up to go on this quote date with John. I came out and here were 60 people and another John had arranged another ceremony with the pastor and knelt down and asked me to marry him again and had a whole wedding. He, he, he had picked out a dress and shoes and everything for me that night. Anyway, so it was just an incredible experience. But that love that Jesus gave me, that just started changing that story of my mom saying, go away, you're bad, we don't want you, just overwrote that story, overwrote that lie that the enemy had been giving me all my life and just realizing that I am a first-class citizen. I don't have to be on the outside looking in on it anymore. And it just has changed my whole life just to experience, to go from my head knowledge, just that empty hole I had, just to have it filled with the deep love of Jesus and to not be this needy, clingy person anymore because God's filling this deep hole. I don't need people to fill it anymore. And it was just an amazing an experience that has just helped me and grounded me in the ministry here to the broken people that we have in Carnegie and to the people in poverty and recovering from addiction, just to know how to love them and how to not let their brokenness affect me and just to ground me in Jesus. I love how God always meets us. Like he gives us an experience that's specific for us. That's the most meaningful for us. And he met you where you were and he just changed your life like that with that healing, that moment. I'm convinced that the Kents are against me because John has made me cry in the past. And I almost cried three times through your testimony. And that's not, you guys know me. It's not my thing. I don't like it. And you guys are just so wholly awesome people. I have not undergone the level of pain that you have as a child, but we have similar backgrounds in that we were treated in a way that we felt unlovable. And I know what that looks like. Again, I wasn't punished. I wasn't called certain names. I was called other names, but I, I didn't have to go through the same things you have. But I do understand what it feels like to be unlovable. And I do understand what it is to want a relationship with Jesus and feel unworthy of his love. And as a person living, how long did you go with this? You knew Jesus and you went, you know, how many decades before you had closure on this matter? I can't fathom feeling like you're drowning in that for as long as you have. That, that I've only been a Christian since I was 30. So even though I was suffering from it, I wasn't suffering it from it from God's perspective because I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So I didn't suffer near as long as you had. And I can't imagine a 13-year-old girl struggling with wanting to know Jesus and feeling like you can't because he wants nothing to do with you. 
I can't imagine that you would pour your whole life into him and expect that he's not going to reciprocate because that's how you were raised. Yeah. That's, that breaks my heart. Well, and at that time, there was no one to mentor me. Like I said, it was a very fundamentalist religion across Christianity, I think, you know, and in our denomination, a few speakers started to come across in the 70s and 80s that talked about righteousness by faith in Jesus. And my dad would just, I had got a book and I was so excited about it. My dad said, that's wrong. That's cheap grace. That's cheap grace, you know, and every time I would get excited about it, he would shut it down, you know, with guilt and there was just no one I could go to. And then, you know, we were just in this works culture, this oriented culture of performing for God for years and decades. The conditional love. Yeah. But New Guinea did start to break both of us out of that. That's where our journey began to open up towards God. Isn't that interesting that you go on a missions trip to bring people to Jesus and, and all you really did was begin your journey to Jesus in that moment. That mission was for you. It wasn't for them. Yeah. And, what, and I'm sure some of them benefited from it. But it was for you. And what was amazing, what, what's amazing to me that is God did the healing for both of us at the same time. In New Guinea, during that time that I was reading that book, Search for Significance and Going Through That Growth, John was sitting every day in our little church for six months saying at noon, he'd sit there for a couple hours every day saying, when Jesus said, you must be born again, what did he mean? What did he mean? And he was going through his own experience of reconversion at that time. And then we both were able to go to Terry Wardle at the same time. So I just praise God that he, one of us wasn't ahead of the other, that together he just took us on this healing path. Yeah, I really love the both of you. And, you know, John is a very extroverted person, but I'm a very introverted person. So I, I understand you. <laughs> Even though I like him, I love that we are very similar in a lot of the... I'm very outgoing, but I'm, I need to be away from people to recharge. And, and your background is similar to mine. Your faith is similar to mine. You know, I, I feel like you absolutely are my sister in Christ at this table. You don't have any brothers. You just had sisters. Just sisters. You, three you sisters. have a brother now. And so a kinship with you that, you know, John, sure he's a friend, but you're, I'm not trying to insult you, sorry, <laughs> but you're more family. And, you know, John's that guy that will help you in a pickle. John's that guy that will bend over backwards and take the shirt off his back for you. And so he's memorable. Come fix your car. Right. He's, he's memorable to people, people. And, and I feel a lot of people use him because of that, because they don't know what else to do. They don't know how to turn to Jesus because they've got John, but you're not that person. And you're someone I can relate to more than a lot of people I've been able to relate to before. And I really appreciate your authenticity. I really appreciate that when you're having a bad day, because we've gone to church together and, and, and that you were open and you were honest and you aren't, you aren't reserved about it, right? You're not mean, but you can tell. And, and I just really love where you were to where you've come to, right? I don't love where you were, but just the journey, the process. Obviously, no child should feel what you felt or go through what you've gone through. But I'm very glad that God has used this for his kingdom because I know that you minister that same love that you learned to the people at the church that you guys are shepherds to and that the people there benefit greatly because of you. Again, they benefit greatly because, you know, John is a great pastor. He's a great orator. He is good with stories. But you were that person that without you, John couldn't be John. He couldn't do what he does if he didn't have Spelinda. 
and you are that instrumental person. I think you're more than just his helper. You were easily his other half. You were easily the other half of John. You cannot think of John without thinking of Belinda. It is impossible. You cannot have one with the other. Peanut butter and jelly, biscuits and gravy, right? Pick whichever one you like the best. I don't know. Is there German ones like that too? These eggs and toast or something? I don't I don't know. Sauerkraut and uh, <laughs> whatever. Perfect. <laughs> Sauerkraut and whatever, right? And John's a lot of the whatever. <laughs> I can't think of the German word for the sausages anyway. <laughs> you know, I, I think that you are still in a place where you undersell yourself and your value to God's kingdom. And I'm glad that you understand who you are, but I think you would do great to understand what you mean, not just to God, but to those around you. It's great that you accept that God loves you. And it's great that you accept that John loves you. I love you. I know Shelly loves you. I know that the people that when we have agape feasts that they, they, when they pour into you and they tell you they love you, that's not them trying to figure out what to say to you. That's them trying to figure out the right words because they love you. And I think that the trauma you went through, you refuse to allow anyone else to go through. And I think it shows in the people that you talk to and that you teach and that you minister to. And I really love you more for that. I think you're just a great inspiration. You know, you do a lot of the kids ministry and you do a lot of things, but you, I see what you do. And I know God sees a lot more than I've seen. And I am proud of you. Thank you. That means a lot. The way you describe that therapy reminds me of this Christian therapy I learned about. It's called Splunkna, S-P-L-A-N-K-N-A. And like they, our subconscious mind records all memories but some of them we don't remember because it's our subconscious. And like every memory is a different frequency. And sometimes a story will get stuck, a memory will get stuck. And if you don't process that and release it, then it can cause a whole plethora of actions and behaviors. And um, when that gets released, it's, it can be really free. Yeah. And that memory had been stuck in me and I hadn't even realized that that was the memory that was driving me all those years. Right. Because you subconsciously would have blocked it out because it was such a painful memory. Mm -hmm. And then I know John shared that when sitting there on that couch that evening, hearing me share that, that's what opened his heart to me. Because all those years he kind of shut himself off because of my clinginess. And when he realized, oh, that's what's driving her. That's what's, what's been, you know, it just kind of opened his heart to me the, at the same time. And the three things that I'd asked for from God that I wanted to be loved by God and John as described in the Song of Solomon and be beautiful, all three of those just were given to me that weekend. It was just... And then him confirming it when you come in the door, it, yeah. it's like, you're like, yeah, that's right. Mm. That's an amazing testimony. I think a lot of people that are, not a lot of people that are, there are a lot of people that are broken in a way that hinders their relationship with others and, and more importantly with Jesus. And your story is an illustration that trauma as a child can absolutely pay a huge part in a relationship as an adult. And I hope it gives people hope that that's not the end of the road that now we had a guest earlier. He talked about, he's a construction guy and you know, you can use a hammer to destroy, but you can also use a hammer to chisel and refine and make this masterpiece. And so God says that there's no evil that he can't make good from, right? And so he's faithful to finish the work he started. 
And so he created you, but he wasn't going to leave you a stone slab of marble that's been hit by the wind and the rain without making you the, the statue of, I don't know, a good statue name. <laughs> the wonderful statue that he carved you into, this masterpiece that you couldn't do yourself, nor could you see the product of it until he was complete. And apparently neither could John until God was done with it. And the moment he was done with it, you knew and he knew they could see the final product. And I think that's wonderful. So that changed everything after that, huh? Yes. Just, and then that wedding and just, yeah, it just, I mean, there's still an, it's like an onion and you, you know, there's more layers. And just recently I found myself going back through those layers, you know, a deeper layer having to bring back some of my just bringing back some of my childhood back to Jesus. But yeah, it was the start of just a new relationship for us. And our kids before then, they just were afraid that we were going to get divorced and we were close to it. And that, that just turned us around and just made us stronger and just saved our marriage. So your whole family has suffered because of the trauma that your parents suffered. Well, yeah, from the brokenness, the war years and all that, you know, and of course my grandfather that was a prisoner of war never, you know, back then you didn't, have PTSD or diagnosis or any help for that. You know, you just bucked it up and sucked it up and just went on living. And he was a very broken man. And, you know, my dad passed away three years ago and just never had a chance to just really experience the grace of Jesus. Even though he did everything just right and criticized and judged everyone, I just, I know I will see him again, and I know that God will teach him all about his grace. Oh, yeah, immediately. As, as soon as you see him again, he'll he'll have it yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah, I, I look forward to that that feast where we get to meet the people that hurt us and, and seeing them in a light that is not unfavorable and looking at them as like, oh, well, you know, you're here, you're redeemed, and we get to enjoy a meal together for the first one ever where we're not going to be traumatized. Like, how amazing will that be? the first meal ever that was person that you're supposed to love was supposed to love you. Right. And you get to finally be untraumatized sitting together next to each other, laughing, joking, you know, Hey, pass those, pass this. And how amazing will that be to get to finally enjoy that person for who God made them to be? Yeah. And my mom, interestingly enough, she's by herself in Alabama, still in this very rigid conservative group. It's a health center group. You know, they, they still do all the dress, wearing the dresses and all this stuff, you know, really focused on health. But she has all our lives, she never could say, I love you. You know, my dad would complain that he, he would say, your mother never says, I love you. And she would could never say that to us. But recently, every phone call now, she says, I love you. So that, that's been a step. <laughs> but that just has just, just been healing every time we'll say, I love you to each other. And it's just, I thought I had to get to be 60 years old before my mom could say, I love you. <laughs> I'm proud that she, my, my mom passed away and I don't think I've, I remember her ever telling me she loved me and you know, my stepmom does. So that's, I mean, I had a replacement that was, that was good, but I can't imagine, I would have never thought that I would ever hear it. You know, you say, oh man, I'll probably make it to 60 before. I would probably think I'd never hear it, especially if I grew up the way you did and I would expect it and I wouldn't, I probably would have cut them off. I probably wouldn't have talked to them. I probably would have gone a different direction like you have done everything right in all the wrong. It's been a journey. I've had to learn how to forgive my dad. And even when he passed away and every day, often I still have to forgive him and mm -hmm. just choose to forgive him, you know? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I would have been mad. 
I would have been mad that I wouldn't have gotten the things off my chest that, that, you know, like you had the audacity to leave before I was finished. Like I've got so much to heal and you don't get to do that. And I can see that being a stumbling block for me. And if we're similar, I can see that being a stumbling block for you. And then for the forgiveness part, I've learned through hardship. I'm pretty good about forgiving people. Sometimes we don't recognize we need to. And that's what gets us is we don't recognize there's a problem. We just is, oh, whatever that happened. We we don't give it a second thought that this person needs to be formally forgiven by us. That is a hard step sometimes. And sometimes it's harder when we have to imagine. I've I've said this to other people at at your church. I've gotten a rise out of some of them. I was like, you know, you you think you're doing well, but imagine this person that you hate the most is going to be in heaven with you if, if they find Jesus. And they're absolutely not like, that's the wrong attitude. You kind of change that attitude over. And so sometimes, you know, my mom could have been saved before she died. I have no way of knowing, and I might see her up there. And well, that'd be the day. Oh my goodness. I, <laughs> that would be. <laughs> wow. What a thunk. Anyway, I just praise Jesus. I, I was thinking before you came over and as I was thinking about my story, the old hymn, I don't know if you guys ever heard it. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. It's just a hymn we used to sing all the time. And it's just, that's what I love to tell is the story of Jesus. The issue I have with the, the hymns is that I became a Christian in my thirties and nobody did those. And so I don't know a lot of them at all. And I'll hear some people singing hymns. This old couple I used to take care of. I take, I, I, I visit the, the wife still, uh, the husband's past, but she would talk about the hymns and sing some hymns. And I'm like, and it's, it's, you could put some Toby Mac on. I'll know what that is. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big Toby Mac fan. My wife is, but I'm not. I, I prefer things like Mission House. I introduced to, to John. Rent Collective. Rent Collective. Love Rent Collective. And, and so I've got certain, certain niches that I like to listen to. But once you put an old hymn on, I'm like, I don't know what this is. Mm-hmm. But some of them I really like. Be That My Vision. Mm-hmm. I was written in like the 1600s. I, man, that one really sings to me. I'll tell you, I love, I love singing that to God. I love it. And so some of the old hymns have it. Some of them will put me to sleep. Well, thank you so much for letting me share my story today. I had no idea because your husband is such an extrovert. Everybody knows his story all the time. All his stories. I've never, ever, ever once in the years that I've known you heard your story. I've heard parts of it, but never like this. And I can honestly say that I love you more now than I did before we walked in that door, knowing it. So will you come back on with John and do a couples episode? Yeah, we would love to. We would love to tell some New Guinea stories of what God did for us in New Guinea. Oh, man, because I know he did some miracles. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be a whole episode. That would be wonderful. Well, thank you for coming on, Belinda, and thank you, listener, for listening. And if you'd like to come alongside our ministry and be a blessing to us and others and help with the the audio editing expenses, we have a fundraising campaign. If you go to givesango.com and look up God's Goodness Podcast, you can make your donation there. And we would greatly appreciate the help. And then we'll talk to you next time. 